This message was presented at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. I want to welcome my panelists, really good friends of mine. Uh, we are the Inverse Team. I, ch- I chose friends from different parts of the world. We're all kind of from America, except for Jonathan, but we, we adopt him as an American. And uh, we all represent different parts of the world, and so uh, I represent all of Asia. So all you Asian friends out there, I am your representative. <laughs> the largest continent in the world. And so to my far left, to your far right, is Sebastian Braxton. Say hi. Aloha. And uh, share a little bit about who you are for about five seconds. Five seconds. Who are you? <laughs> oh, Sebastian Braxton, uh, CEO for the New Life Challenge and live in North Carolina, husband to Candace, father of four. Okay. He's got a background from the Caribbean, so he represents all of inter-America to, in a sense. Okay. To his Amen. right... To his right. Hi, everyone. I'm Israel Ramos, and I am the public campus ministry director for Michigan, and um, happy to be here with you. Okay, from uh, representing all of the, the Latino world. Inter America. And Inter America. Uh, inter inter- America. Okay, to his right. Hi, everyone. I'm Siku Dako, and I'm senior editorial assistant for Inverse, which is the young adult Bible study guide um, being produced by the General Conference. And she represents the whole continent of Africa. Africa is not a country. It is a continent. Amen, everyone? Amen. 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 Whoa, that got some emotions from the floor. (laughs) There are people here from Africa. Okay. Okay. Amen. 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 And to my left. To my left. I'm Jonathan. I'm a pastor. I work for the General Conference Ministerial Association and GYC Missions. And uh, my wife, Amanda, is amazing. And uh, I miss her. I love. She's watching. Um, And it's great to be here with you, Justin. Great to have you with us. Uh, Jonathan is originally from Austria, and so he represents all of Europe. Europe. All of Europe. We also have another panelist, Callie Williams, and she is currently in Africa. She just got married, so I want to shout out to Callie. Congratulations. Buruchara. Callie Williams Buruchara. That is her new name. So good morning, everyone. I want to ask if you have your Bibles. Not if you have your Bibles. You should have your Bibles. Please turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. We are entering into a new quarter this, uh, this Sabbath, and we want to introduce to you also the new Bible study guide uh, produced by the General Conference, our office for young adults for Sabbath school adult, uh, Bible study guide called Inverse. You should have received one coming here into this GYC auditorium. If you have one, can you just raise it up and show us that you have a copy? Okay. Now, this yeah. one, the one that you have in your hands is on the book of Nehemiah. We just covered the, the topic of Ezra and Nehemiah and the adults. For the young adults, we looked at the topic of the book of uh, Nehemiah from an angle of leadership. How to change your local church, how to change the world, how to change the institutions around you using the principles of leadership from the book of Nehemiah. There are no dates there, so even though it is a past topic, it is not an expired topic, if you will. And you can use that in your personal Bible study or whatnot. More instructions regarding the new Young Adult Bible Study Guide will be shown in the video after the end of this session. But for this quarter, we are looking at the book of Daniel. In the inverse curriculum of the four quarters out there, two of them follow the Adult Bible Study Guide, while two diverge and go into Young Adult Topics. For quarter one of 2020, we will be studying the book of Daniel. So by now, you should have turned to the book of Daniel. I think my panelists are all set. We'll have a word of prayer. We'll ask the Lord for his blessing upon the reading. I want to ask uh, Siku, can you pray for us? 
Loving Father, we'd like to thank you for the opportunity that it is to come in your presence and to open the Holy Bible. Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher now. Um, help us to glean lessons from your word that would um, prepare us for the times that we're living in. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen, amen. Daniel chapter 1. Braxton, if you don't mind verse 1, reading there for us. We'll just read one verse and down the line. And if you don't want to read, just say skip and we'll just skip over you, Israel. Okay. Thank you. All right. Okay. Sebastian. Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men, in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. Very good. Verse 5, uh, Israel, one verse each. Thank you. <laughs> All right. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now Verse God, nine, Sebastian. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Verse 13. You still with us out there? Verse 13. Yes, verse 13. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Malzah took away the portion of their meat and the wine which they should drink and gave them pulse. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Verse 18, now at the end of days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding, the king inquired of them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all the realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. 
Okay, this is Daniel chapter 1. Thank you for reading. And for some of you, this is your first time. But maybe for the majority of us, we have read Daniel chapter 1 a bazillion times. And this is an Adventist convention. Uh, we've probably talked about Daniel a million times. Some of you out there are like, oh, I'm tired of Daniel 1. I know, we've got to be vegetarian and skip over. I want to get to Daniel 2, 7, 8, 9, 11. That's what I want to get into. But Daniel 1 is what sets it up. So I want to ask the panel this morning, what from what, have you, from what you have studied this week on Daniel 1, what have you mined out? What are some things you'd like to share from chapter 1? Jonathan. If I may just give a little bit of the backdrop yes, here. So we are in the, in the year 605 BC, around there. And uh, in, in, in the king Nebuchadnezzar has been besieging Jerusalem, taking people captive. Yes. And we have to understand that the context in which Daniel grew up was a wicked one. Uh, we had, you know, in Second Chronicles 36 gives us insight here. You have Jehoiakim who reigned for 11 years, did what was evil, and his kids did what was evil. Uh, it was not a very faithful time in Israel. It was like the last moments in Judah before uh, the exile happened. And so in this situation, Daniel and his friends, teenagers, are uh, taken captive because of their background and their education, taken uh, to, uh, to Babylon on a long journey through the desert, a couple months, not a very pleasant experience. And so this is the situation they're brought into. And they're brought into, uh, uh, you know, into Babylon to, to be used uh, by the king's pleasure and in a different, different way. Yes. Can I, yes. Can I go, um, one, sure. like, go a little bit further back than Jehoiakim? Okay. Um, as background in chapter 35 of Second chapter Chronicles. Chapter 35 of? Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. Um, you have Josiah. Mm. Um, and there was this revival that took place yes. where Josiah you know, reinstituted the Passover and people worshiping God. And it says actually in verse 18 of chapter 35 in Second Chronicles that there was no Passover like to that kept in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet. So this was like a crazy revival that happened. Yeah. And going by the timeline, Daniel and his three friends' parents would have been alive yeah. when this was happening. Yeah. So they were part of this great revival that happened. And it seems from the story that the revival that happened in their lives at that time, even though they went through these, this yeah. horrible king and you know, they're now being punished for their, for their sin as a nation, yeah. that Daniel's parents gleaned something from that revival experience that they passed on to their children so that their children were then able to be faithful in the future. So, so Daniel's parents went to GYC for many years uh -huh. and they were like, and so these are, this is the next generation after GYC. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Absolutely. great, great. Okay, Israel. Something, one of the principles that strikes me from the very beginning in, in terms of what Jonathan and Sequa are saying is the fact that uh, here we have the principle that excellence is not developed in a moment, but it's the process of what takes place in the home. Excellence is not developed in the moment, but developed in the... It's a process that takes place in the home. Process that takes place yeah. in the home. And, you know, in the home. And, and what happens most of the time is that we think that Christianity is best revealed when it's revealed in public. And we admire people who die for their faith and, and who suffer for their faith. But there's a lot to be said about the fact that Daniel and his three friends developed the characters that they had, this character of excellence. They developed that long before crisis even took place. And so it's important, I think, the lesson that, that comes out here is the fact that unless we are Christians in the home, we're not Christians at all. Right. Because outward tests are only that. They're only tests, a reflection or a revelation, sorry, of something that has already taken place deep inside for a long period of time. Yeah, it's totally piggybacks on Siku, your message this, this morning, in a sense. Uh, Sebastian, let me ask you, what in what area of excellence is manifested in chapter one? 
Well, I think what we see in Daniel chapter 1 is this, this issue of self-control, or what we call temperance. And the fact that Daniel, his integrity drives him to be faithful even in this very small area of things that God has asked them to dispense away with in terms of eating and drinking. So when we see this, it's a very odd way to start a prophetic book in relation to diet choices. You guys all catch that? He said it's a very odd way to start a book of prophecy to talk about diet. Yes? Why? Yeah. Why? Why? Why is it? Why? Keep well, going. <laughs> well, I, I think for many of us, we would not put the two together. Yes. We would see no relationship with the prophetic gift that Daniel has yes. and what's manifested in the book with, yes. I'm not going to eat this and I'm not going to drink this. But in actuality, it shows us that temperance is the foundational virtue in terms of character building. That this here starts in chapter one, it says self-control underlies the development of all other virtues that Daniel is going to show us throughout the rest of this book. So let's hash that out a little bit. What in the world is temperance? Like some people read chapter Daniel chapter one, and they're like, ah, oh, I'm a vegetarian, I'm a vegan, I'm a fruitarian, I'm an oxygenarian, <laughs> I'm a watertarian, whatever. Uh, and then like, look, I'm, I, only, I only drink like gluten-free water, so I understand prophecy better. <laughs> Um, is, is that what Daniel chapter 1 is saying? Facetiously, no, right? So, and then you get in, the, in Adventism, we, we, we've hashed diet so much that there's all this reaction against diet. And so the people are, are pro, anyway, la, 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 la. So well, let's hash out uh, uh, temperance. Siku. I think one of the things that, that stands out to me, talking about that excellence that they showed in terms of their temperance, in verse 4, verse four. the reason why... Uh, these young people were among the group that were selected. It says, children in whom was no blemish, well-favored, skillful in wisdom, cunning in knowledge, understanding science. They had ability to stand in the king's palace that they might, so they could teach them and train them. So these young people that were selected, they, actually, they had already demonstrated a commitment level to their studies, right? And they were, so their temperance wasn't just in what they ate and drank, but they applied themselves to their studies. They applied themselves to, to what they were, their exercise, because of the ability to stand in the king's place. So I think underlying all of the other areas where temperance manifests itself is what you eat and drink. It's like the basic, but then it pervades everything else. You know, if, you're, if you can be disciplined in the way that you eat, when you eat, what you eat, then that discipline can transcend to all the other areas of your life, mm -hmm. your studies, your relationships, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we have to recognize that temperance is self-control. Okay. Uh, and that is a gift from God. It's not, well, you know, we, we, we uplift Daniel and his friends a lot because they are so amazing and they're so faithful, and they are, but we have to also recognize that faithfulness is only something that is possible when Christ lives in you. This comes through surrender. It is God who gives you the gift and the ability to, to be faithful and to have self-control. Now, when it comes to temperance in this situation and in any situation in our lives, Self-control is only necessary because we're out of control. Sin mm. has made us out of control. And we know that a gift of the Spirit is self-control. So as we give our lives to God, He helps us to be balanced in our life, to not exaggerate, to not go too extreme left, too extreme right in anything that we do, but to, to go according to His will, according uh, with the laws of nature, according with the principles uh, that God has given us in His Word. So it is a gift from God, and He's helping us to be... He, he is taking control of our lives really in this situation. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that, you know, and I agree with Jonathan, but I think to get even more practical hands-on with temperance, you're looking at doing away with things that you know are not harmful 
But temperance demands a definite aim. And so based on that aim of what your goal is, you say, well, this is harmful to my goal, so I'm going to get rid of that altogether. But the things that are helpful to my goal, I'm going to use judiciously with wisdom so that a person may say, well, Bible study is helpful for my goal to living a Christ-like life, but that doesn't mean Bible study 16 hours a day, right? So that you're heavenly minded and no earthly good. That's not helping you reach your goal because Jesus was very useful in the world. And so I think that's where temperance practically meets the road. It's like, well, is this really helping me? But I think you have to define the aim. And for Daniel, that aim was to represent God as the people that they were called to be. And so God says, do away with these things completely and yet use wisely the things that are available to you. Let me ask you guys, and, and we're all friends here, yeah? It's not like you're on international TV in front of thousands of people or anything. Um, what, are, what are areas that, that you all, you four, have, have maybe struggled in temperance? Why don't you go first? I'll go, I'll, I'll go first. <laughs> Amen, Sebastian. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I think... I think Sebastian, you put me on the spot, man. I got I to... Gotta, I, think, go I, think for, I think for me... Um, you know, one of the areas I, I definitely struggle with, I argue with my wife all the time that she has the sweet tooth, um, but definitely sweets are, are a struggle. You know, just because, you know, I've been a, a vegan on a plant-based diet for like 16 years, but you can be an unhealthy vegan. Yes. Wait, right? wait, wait, wait. Yes. So Say you're going here like, oh time. yeah, this uh, Say that apple one more pie. Time. That's Say that one more time. <laughs> you can be a what? And people are like, look, man, there's this uh, new veggie fried chicken, but it's vegan. It's like... It's like, so I, I think for me, you know, when I got married, my wife was, was just becoming vegan. You know, I had somehow convinced her, but she actually ate vegetables, right? And she's looking at the stuff I'm eating, like, oh yeah, tofuti ice cream and tofurkey sandwiches. Like, so where, where's the vegetables if you're a vegetarian? And so I, I think for me, you know, learning to control the fact that just because it's vegan, people come Oreos are vegan, you know, this is, yeah, that's vegan, but... Dude, Oreos are vegan? Yeah. <laughs> you, you can join us, uh, room number 740. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but the, the, the main focus I, I see in my life is learning that, again, temperance has that aim, and my goal is to be health. That's why I made that choice, to be vegan and vegetarian, but yet I'm making even vegan choices that are intemperate that are unhealthy. And so for me, that's been a, a big struggle of mine is really getting off of the sweets. I love desserts, especially vegan pastries and things like that. So I avoided certain people's booths here who were giving out muffins um, in order to help my Appreciate struggle. Appreciate your, your vulnerability this morning, your, your, your transparency. Uh, I think in January chapter one, we often look, this, look at this as a dietary chapter. And in Adventism, we all, you know, judge each other and try not to judge each other by our diet. But I would say, Sebastian, because you asked the question, uh, one area well, which, which I believe our generation really struggles with, and I personally also do on a daily basis, is the consumption of media. And this is the greatest challenge, I believe. This is what youth ministers are saying all over on what is judicious, what, how do you know what is judicious, how, not just what content, but how much, when it is, uh, and that self-control, as Jonathan brought out. It's not just about what you eat and what you watch, but it's also how much you watch and when you watch it, and the self-control demarcation. And that, those principles have still yet to be ironed out fully in my life. 
And I think that's something that we all have to really dialogue about, and especially for our generation, especially with these dumb phones. I mean, they're, they're smartphones, but they're dumb phones. Uh, and social media and whatnot. Israel, something your confession time. I'm not going to confess. You're not going to confess. No. Uh, but, uh, you know, we've talked about the fact that... that um, Temperance is essentially self-control. Yes. And self-control takes place even, I mean, there, there's, the, there's a foundation of what the Bible says in terms of what we ought to eat. And then there's self-control beyond that. You know, you could be a waterterian and still not self, have self-control with that too. Sure. So the more distilling, I guess, what I'm trying to say is distilling the limitations of what, we, what is good and what is harmful is just actually the beginning. I think the idea or the concepts of self-control just transcends everything. You know, we experience this all the time with our words, with our actions, with yes. our habits. Yes. All of this is an exercise in temperance. What I love about the book of Daniel, especially in these beginning chapters, is the fact that it gives us the why, right? It gives us the why. In other words, when we think about temperance, we think it's easy for us to think that the purpose of temperance is health. The purpose of self-control is longevity. And so people, oftentimes, even myself, we think, well, look at that person. They're a vegetarian. They died early, you know? Right, so right. your whole argument goes into the trash. And then, we, and then our response is typically, well, they would have died sooner. You know, that's <laughs> right. kind of what we, right. you know, those extra, you know, they died young, but they would have died as babies if they were not, you know? So, um, so the purpose of, the purpose, Daniel answers for us, what is the purpose of self-control, or, or really not, not just self-control, but faithfulness, because even above self-control is faithfulness, right? Surrender to God, as Jonathan was saying. And the book of Daniel opens up to us the reason for why temperance is necessary. And we catch that in the very first few verses. The Bible says that something is going on, Yes. that Nebuchadnezzar has overthrown Jehoiakim, and it is in this context that the life or the narrative of Daniel is exposed. What that tells me is this, that whether we're dealing in a moment of crisis or normal times, what we would consider normal times, there is a story that is taking place. The war between Nebuchadnezzar and Jehoiakim is not a war between two individuals, but it is a war between good and evil. Mm. Notice how the Bible says that it is God who gave Jehoiakim to Nebuchadnezzar. And so what happens is that every single day of our lives, we are experiencing, we are participating in the great controversy. Mm -hmm. And the decisions that we make regarding how we relate to others and regarding the treasures that God gives to us, the gifts, how we manage those gifts, is a reflection of whether or not God is truly in control of our lives. And so the actions are a manifestation or a test regarding my loyalty, my proclaimed loyalty to God. And I think it's important for us to notice that, that um, temperance or, our, or any Christian virtue is really a test that allows me to examine myself to know whether or not I am living up to that proclamation of what it means to be a Christian. Let, let me ask, of all the Christian virtues, why is it temperance in the beginning? What, what is the connection, what is the actual connection between self-control and spiritual understanding? What's the connection? I would say there's a connection between self-control and power. I think there's, in this narrative, there's, there's an exercise of power. And, you know, think about what Daniel's, and we're getting ahead of ourselves, but think about what Daniel's going to do in his life. Yes. He's going to go through Babylon. He's going to go through the next king. He's going to surpass. He's going he's gonna to transcend kingdoms. And in, and in reality, even though these kings are in charge of the world, 
that, at that time, the greatest empires of the world at that time, the power that Daniel has as a leader and, and on top of that as a slave is incredible. Yeah. And so God is saying, look, Daniel, as a slave, you're going to have more power than kings. And I need to make sure that you are a person that has the ability to control yourself. Yeah, Jonathan. Uh, I mean, uh, spot on what Israel is saying. I believe in temperance ha has such a huge impact on our character development because it has to do with uh, the way we uh, make decisions. Every decision has to do with temperance. Uh, what decision I make in each situation um, is defined by what my, where my values lie and who is in control in my heart. And so as I surrender my life to God and I ask him to give him the ability to, to, to be faithful to him, um, he will guide me every step. We see that with Daniel in chapter 1 and the chapters beyond as well and his friends as well. He was taken you know, away from his situation into this, into this trial. He was tested, but by God's grace, he was triumphant. He had the ability um, given by God uh, to, to remain faithful and make that conscious decision uh, with the small and the large things uh, to stay um, faithful and balanced. But this is, I guess, again, uh, I'm stressing this point. It is something that God gave. You mentioned God gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand. But when we look down to verse 9... Who is it that gives Daniel favor? It is God gave Daniel favor and compassion. And then in verse 17, it is God who gives them learning and skill, not the vegetables. Now, this is not to say that healthy living doesn't affect the brain. It absolutely does. But yes. ultimately, it is God who does this. So it's beautiful to see that our decision-making, um, when we are connected with God, will be uh, on the straight and narrow. And it's just a beautiful promise as well as and we just, see in the life of Daniel. Just to, um, just to, I know we broadened the temperance conversation to more than what you eat and drink, but just to bring it back down to what you eat and drink, what you eat and drink does affect yes. your ability to make good decisions, the cl your clarity of thought. And starting chapter one with Daniel, making right decisions in diet specifically, and then you go on through the rest of the book and God is able to use him to reveal truths that to this day we're still gleaning from, that Daniel had the clarity of mind for God to be able to speak to him and for him to comprehend what God was saying. So maybe sometimes God is trying to talk to me, but I'm on a sugar high and I'm just like, ah, and I can't understand what God is trying to say. Sure, sure. Let me ask you, I mean, sometimes when we look at temperance and self-control, we automatically think, I mean, temperance is like, we just, I've had this image of a very straight-laced, kind of weird, awkward, you know, uh, person, you know, and just like, oh, it's four o'clock, I need to drink my water, you know, and just like... Um, that's that's kind of the weird image I have. Why why is it that pop culture makes fun of temperance and and, and self control? What 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 is why is that the the norm? And we have to what do we, what are we fighting against? Sebastian, I think um, when you when you look at the way that temperance is oftentimes portrayed, some reason it's typically associated with these fringe kind of ideas, right? These fringe kinds of ways of living. And I think a lot of people feel like that is presenting an ideal that just doesn't seem attainable. It doesn't seem adaptable. So it's like the first time I was exposed to, you know, healthful living, they're like, oh, you need this champion juicer and you need this and this. And you're thinking, dude, like, unless I can come up with 800 bucks, like, I'm never going to be able to be healthy. And to me, it, it, it reminds me of a story that Charles Spurgeon told about how this lady had come to the church and... Um, was saying that she needed financial help. And when, and when uh, she left the church, the pastor had 
collected an offering and was going to her house to give her the money. And so when he knocked on her door, no one answered. And then at noon prayer, she showed up back at the church and the pastor said, well, I came to your house. I remember that you had a need and we collected an offering for you. Were you home? And she said, what time was it? It was about 12 o'clock, you know, 11 o'clock. She said, well, yeah, I was home. Well, you didn't hear the knocking? I did, but I thought you were the person coming for the rent. So I didn't answer the door because she couldn't pay. So in her, in her mind, Spurgeon makes the point that many times when we are presenting the gospel and we're presenting the truth, people feel like I don't have enough to pay those demands. I don't have enough to take to live up to that standard of what they're presenting as temperance. Therefore, they don't answer. They're not responding because it seems like you're bringing more demands rather than more grace to reach it, more ways to accomplish it. And so because I think pop culture looks at it and says, that's not realistic. You're not really, like, are you really living that way in your house? And if you are, that's just weird. And right, and a lot of people aren't interested in being weird. They want to be able to be themselves and be temperate at the same time. In many ways, pop culture glorifies intemperance, the, the passionate, the, the extreme, the, the, the <laughs> wildness, uh, that, because it accentuates the, the sensual parts of, of the carnal nature. I think, I think it just uh, is a way for, for uh, culture and sinful nature to, um, in a way, deal with the fact that uh, this, is we are not, we, this is who we are, we can't change. We can't change. It's not possible. Right. Uh, but the beauty of the gospel is that there is a God who gives you the power to overcome and have Amen. victory. That's right. I mean, That's it right. is he who works in you to work in the will of his good pleasure. That's right. So it's just a beautiful thing. That's the gospel. I mean, this is what the world needs and desires, um, but at the same time makes fun of because they think it's unachievable. Sure. Because they look at themselves as a source of power. Siku. And this might be beating a dead horse, but um, in verse 10 of chapter 1. Verse 10. Um, after they had made their petition, the prince of the eunuch said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your faces worse liking than the other children who are of your sort? That there was, there was a prevalent understanding of what it took to be healthy or what it took to, you know, be, you know, look juicy or whatever, you know, and... <laughs> <laughs> juicy. And looking juicy was desirable. (laughs) Okay. Yes. So there was this understanding, right? And and to go against, it's hard to go against the grain, right? To be a pioneer, um, obeying what God has asked you to do. But here's the crazy thing, right? Is after Daniel and his friends are faithful to what God has called them to, it becomes evident that the diet that they have chosen is actually most beneficial. Yes. Yes for, you know, enhancing your intellectual capabilities with the blessing of God on top of it, you know, makes it 10 times even greater, right? But being the first one to take that step can be hard when everybody else around you is doing something different. And when everybody else around you, when science says differently, right? When all education and learning says differently, and being the one to stand on the truth of the word of God in spite of what the world is saying can be hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what Daniel and his friends do. They're, they stand for what the Word of God says in spite of everything else around them saying that it's not so. Mm-hmm. Israel. You know, it's, it's the, the question that you're asking, why is it that sometimes people uh, are, are so against temperance? It's not because temperance is weird, as, as uh, not necessarily because temperance is weird. I mean, if you look at society today, people embrace weird. How many, how many weird people do you see 
every day, right? And people want to be, they see if something looks cool on TV. How many weird people do I see every day? Yeah, you see a lot of people, right? (laughs) Probably not where where you work. I'm sure not where you work, but when you go to the grocery store, etc., we, you know, we come across people all the time who want to be weird. Yes. So weirdness is actually the new cool. I mean, it's all weirdness has always been cool. Let me express myself the way I want to express myself, even if I look like an idiot. I mean, this is, you know, this is the way we live in society today. I think the reason why people are are so against temperance at the at the end of the day is because our culture has one goal, and that is to make sin normal. If you think about it, that's the goal. I mean, we want, because of our lustful natures, we want to make it okay, that it's fine, it's normal, it's cool. Uh, it, it's all right to have multiple partners and to, you know, uh, have intimacy before marriage because we can't control ourselves. That's why we make up those, those norms that's and right. those rules. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the bottom line is that the reason why people are so anti-temperance uh, uh, is because the human heart is naturally anti-things that cut against our heart. And I think that's really foundationally the bottom line reason why we're against it. You know, after hearing you guys talk, I mean, there's, there's this desire that I, I need more self-control in my life. Is that you all feel that in, in some capacity, in some area of your life, that we need more temperance, we need more self-control. And the one uh, temptation is I just got to hunker down and try harder and try to be vegan again in 2020 for like the a millionth and tenth time and, and resolve again and then break it tomorrow. So what, what are some principles? What can you do to get more self-control in your life, more temperance in your life? I guess the basic one, I mean, just, uh, Jonathan said right from the beginning that this temperance is a fruit of the Spirit, like self-control. And coming to God and asking that God would give us this gift, uh, you know, that comes with the, with the Holy Spirit, that yes. He would help us to have self-control and recognizing that God is able to do it. So now it's not trust, not I'm trying to do it, yes. but I'm trusting that God can do it in me. Yes. Um, you know, God works through the natural laws that he has created. And so um, while he occasionally does miracles in lives, I know people who have given up smoking, you know, overnight and those kind of things. But in general, when it comes to uh, uh, temperance, God wants to develop our characters. And that's why he works through the process. We've got to embrace the process, but it is a process. I cannot mind, uh, climb Mount Everest tomorrow. If I want to do that, I need to, you know, climb the hill in, in my backyard first and climb maybe, you know, in Maryland, there are not that many mountains. But, you know, I got to <laughs> step by step with the Lord uh, experience uh, a growth. So, you know, in 2020, if you're struggling with diet, say, I want to replace one item in my diet this month and just grow from that, from, in that direction. Or when it comes to your problem with social media or with, with uh, phones, my on, problem. only your problem. Um, <laughs> then, problem. you know, maybe it's time to say, kid, from this time to this time, these two hours, I won't touch my phone, you know, make, make that a thing. And it, so it's a step-by-step you, process John. and myself as well. Amen. <laughs> So, you know, I believe that God works the process and we've got to embrace that process and not expect, okay, I'm going to do everything overnight. That's overwhelming. We can't handle that. But God works in the process and he's very gracious and helpful as we trust him. Sebastian. I was just going to say one of my favorite quotes is that that which at first is difficult when done repeatedly becomes easy. You know, a lot of times we are committed to this perfectionistic mindset that I have to get it right the first time. 
but we realize that the journey to success is always met with failure along the way. And I think if we can be okay with not making it right away, then that principle is something that we can practically live out to develop temperance, to say, look, it, it, it's going to be difficult at first, but if I just keep showing up repeatedly trying to do this, following that, um, you know, Proverbs 24, 16 of just keep getting up, eventually is going to become easy. And so to me, that's a very simple uh, step, you know, practical way to get there. I, I love that proverb, Sebastian. I'm going to ask that we turn to Romans chapter 12. This quarter on Daniel, uh, the adult uh, Bible study guide was, was written by someone else, but the young adult inverse Bible study guide was written by Pastor David Shin uh, of Alaska, and he makes this connection in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. When asked the question, how can you practically develop more temperance, more self-control? He goes to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And Israel, if you don't mind, can you read that for us? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And he makes this connection in, connection in verse 1. That it says in verse 1, therefore by the mercies of God. Meaning, from chapters 1 through 11, Paul has talked about this process of salvation, the dynamics of salvation, and therefore, and he connects it. Because of these mercies, because of the salvation process, now present yourself, present your body as a living sacrifice. Meaning, now for all that God has done for me, just open yourself up to how God will just move through your body, move through your mind, move through the habits of your life. And then understanding, opening yourself to the grace and mercy of God allows you to be an open conduit. And so rather than, 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 than hunkering down and trying harder and, and grit, gr, uh, gritifying, if that's a word, <laughs> which a lot of Adventists look like, we just got to embrace chapters 1 through 11. And, and, and present ourselves a living sacrifice, which Paul says is your what? Reasonable, reasonable service. service. Reasonable service. Reasonable service. What are other virtues that we see in the book of Daniel? We looked at Daniel chapter 1, and this entire quarter we're going to look at different chapters, and without time we don't have to look at each chapter, but what are other virtues that the book of Daniel manifests? Jonathan. Well, in the chapter 2, uh, we see two. the clash of uh, pathetic versus prophetic. Yes. Uh, you see that um, how how human wisdom and and really satanic religion comes to clash uh, uh, with with the mighty word of God. Yes. Uh, as as Daniel is you know uh, showing what this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had means and the, the future, it just reveals how useless our ideas and uh, the, our religions of this world are compared to the Word of God. Okay, so we've got prayer life in Daniel chapter 2. Any other verses that we see? Like in chapter 3, you have faithfulness. Faithfulness, Daniel 3. Um, I think in Daniel chapter 9, you see intercessory prayer for the church is a very critical... He loves the church and he's praying for the church. Absolutely. This is the whole premise of Daniel. Yes, there are the prophecies, but they're also the character that we need for the last days to endure through the prophecies. That's the premise for the book of Daniel. At this time, we're going, to look at, we're going to look at a video which actually looks at the whole inverse Bible study process. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. How many of you want to say, Lord, give me more self-control? Amen. God bless you guys. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, 
visit us online at gycweb.org.